The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. I was in Texas. My day job, what I do during the day is I train Rabbonim in how to answer Hashkafa questions. Kiruv. And I go from college to college, training the Rav of the college, Harvard and Yale, these are considered good colleges. They'll go and the student will say, how do I know there's Hashem? How do I know there's a Bria? How do I know? And the rabbi says, I didn't learn this in Yeshiva. So I said, I'll tell you how to answer that question. And I give them how to answer questions. And that's what I do all year round. I travel from city to city. I'm in Texas once. Austin, Texas. I get a phone call. I'm meeting with five Rabbanim there. And my phone rings. And the phone, it's my wife. I pick it up. I always pick up my wife, no matter if I'm in a meeting. I'll tell her I'm in a meeting, but I'm not going to ignore my wife. I pick up the phone to my wife. Everyone knows. Pick up the phone. I said, yes. She said, I said, I'm in a meeting. She said, no question. I have one question for you. Does Hashem love us? Mapitom? What do you mean, Hashem loves us? It's a question. I, of course, Hashem loves us. He says, one more question. It says, Everything Hashem does is for the best, right? I said, yes, but now you're scaring me. I said, I said you have to help me a little bit. You can, uh, you're scaring me a little bit. What's, uh, what's the, what, the kavana behind your question? So, so I hear some of you heard the ants. So my wife says, look, I want to tell you, the children are fine. But the house burnt down. The house burnt down. I said, okay, come to Lutoiva. Anything left? No, you want to speak to the fire chief? Yeah. So the fire chief says, okay, Mr. Klatsko, you need a new house? Your house burnt down. Peseder. Okay, I tell the Rabbanim, goodbye, I have to go, I'm sorry. Got to go, we're homeless now. We're going to go back, I'm going to go back to Muncie and figure out where we're going to go. So we came home. We found a place, a place to stay a little bit. And it was time to rebuild the house. And once we decided to rebuild the house, we said, you know what, let's do it in a way that we can have more Orchem. Because our family liked to invite Orchem. So we built a house with a very long dining room that we should be able to have Orchem every Shabbos. And the dining room was so long that our dining room table that we had custom made holds 62 people. The table holds 62. Then we add on tables to, to add more. We actually were doing 120 a Shabbos. So Reuven Feinstein said, Clats, go slow down. <laughs> You're going to burn out. So we, we, we decided 60, 70 is going to be uh, the max today. So we built a, the dining room and we said, Givaldic, it's going to be so beautiful. Now we've got to invite people. And we want to do something beautiful. We're going to make a geschmacka minion. And all those people who are, who have spakes about Yiddishkeit, or the Bali Truth, or the Gerim, or their divorces, or their, let's make their Yiddishkeit geschmack again. But then I said, you know, if we're going to do a minion, we need a Torah. And I couldn't afford a Torah. I just, I just built a house. How am I going to afford a Torah? So I went to the classifieds and I found an ad on the classifieds and it said, for sale. A Jewish Torah, and that's a good thing it's Jewish, a Jewish Torah, 200 years old, 11 inches tall. 
I thought, wow, a miniature, a miniature Torah? Gewaldic. It's going to be... So, not because I'm, I'm going to hum. I like to hum. So, I called up the person. I said, wow, you have a little miniature Torah. 200 years old. I like old things. I like small things. It's perfect. I said, I'd love to see it. He said, I live in Philadelphia. I said, I live in Muncie, New York. He said, I'll drive it up to you. I have time on Sunday. I said, you're going to drive it up to my house? I'm not committing to buying it just because you drive it, to, you know, 200 miles. He said, no problem. I, I have time. I'll drive it up. And that Sunday, this man drives up to my house. He's got a beat up car, not wearing a yarmulke. He has a blanket in his hand. He takes the blanket, brings it into my house, puts the blanket on my dining room table. I say, hello, shalom, hello. We open it up and there, hidden by the blanket, is a tiny miniature Torah. I was very excited. Like, it's a real Torah. I learned Safras. I know, I know what a Torah is. It was a beautiful Torah. It wasn't, wasn't Fashmet. The letters looked good. It has to be checked, but still, it looked good. So I'm excited, but I don't want to show him I'm excited because I know what's going to happen. I'm showing him I'm excited, and he's going to, you're very excited. It's going to cost you. So I'm like, I'm playing it very simple. Like, oh. Nice Torah, very nice. You know, I'd love to add it to my miniature Torah collection I keep upstairs somewhere. You know? I said, where did you get this Torah from? He said, this Torah came from my father. My father, he writes, was a rabbi in the Catskills. And this Torah was part of a shul that belonged to him. And when he was nifter, the shul ended up closing down they sold off everything and I was left with this Torah. So when I heard, wow, it's got a history, a provenance. Now I'm excited. I said, oh, wow. You know what I would do with this Torah? I would sing with it. I would dance with it. We'd have bar mitzvahs. And I just like, I gave up all my cards. Like, I would love to have such a beautiful Torah. And as I'm speaking to him, he begins to cry. So I stop in the middle. I say, I'm sorry. Did I just offend you? I didn't mean to. He said, no, I just wish I met somebody like you when I was young. I said, I don't understand, what do you mean? He said, I'll explain to you. Even though my father was a rabbi, he was a Holocaust survivor. And I had questions about my Yiddishkeit, about my Judaism, and he used to say, you can't ask. People died for this. They were sent to the gas chambers, don't ask, just do. So I did, but I had all these questions in my head. And then when I was 15, my father was nifter. So I was all by myself in the world. I ended up going to college. I met a young lady. She was Buddhist. She was a Buddhist. We began to date. And after dating her for a few years, she said, you know, if you would convert to Buddhism... I would marry you. Thank you so much. Buddhism is Emes Avaidazara, by the way. Emes Avaidazara. If you would convert, I would marry you. And he said, look, I didn't have a father. I don't know what the mother was out of the picture. I was by myself. I didn't know anything. I had questions about my Judaism. 
I said, look, what do I have to lose? So I converted. And I've been a practicing Buddhist for 50 years. And this Torah has been gathering dust in my closet. And I look at him and I feel so bad. Here's somebody whose father was a Rav, whose father survived Hitler's Holocaust, and Nebuch, he goes out and marries a Buddhist, he's a practicing Buddhist. Suddenly he looks at me and says, you know what I just realized? This is your Torah. I said, excuse me? He said, it's yours. I want you to have it. I said, for free? Because you always should ask. For free? He said, yes, I'm giving it to you. I say, thank you? He says, don't say thank you. Do good things with it. Have a nice day. And he leaves the house and I'm left with this gorgeous little Torah sitting on my dining room table. Drives away. Now that I have this little Torah, I need an Arun Kodesh. That was another problem because most Arun Kodesh are big and you can't put a little Torah in a big Arun Kodesh. It looks funny. Where's the Torah? It's right there. Look carefully. You need it. It should be size appropriate. So I didn't know what to do. I'm looking. Where do I find? And then one day, someone suggests I go on to eBay. I'll find over there. Maybe, who knows, someone's selling an iron. And I see one day, there's an ad. And the ad reads, For sale, Jewish Christian piece of furniture. I don't know what's a Jewish Christian. I don't know what that means. They showed a picture. And the picture looks to me like a miniature Aron Kodesh. It's got pillars, it's got doors, it's beautiful. The only thing is, on the very top of what looked like Aron Kodesh was a big golden cross. So I call up the people who are selling it. And I said, what's, what's going on with this? This is Jewish Christian. What do you say? They say, we're a company. And we sell estates of people who passed away with no children and this belonged to a priest and he died with no children because they couldn't marry no children so we're selling off everything from the estate so I said to them listen to me I'm a rabbi I'm on the other end of the phone to me this looks exactly like an Arn Kodesh like a, like a holy ark do me a favor I'm going to wait on the phone tell me if the wood of the piece of furniture and the wood of the cross match. They said, we'll be right back. They come back, they say, in our opinion, the piece of furniture is a hundred years old. The cross is about 20 years old. I said, there you go. It's Pashat. Some Yidala with his blood, sweat and tears and a knife hand carved a beautiful little Aron Kodesh and it probably had a Torah in it. Somehow it ends up in the hands of a priest. He slaps a cross on it and, and declares it for Christianity. And I'm going to do pidgin shvuim. I said, what do you want to end the auction right now? They said, we want $5,000. I said, I'll give you 1300 They said, okay. <laughs> that was quick. That was it. I bought, I bought it. I paid them PayPal. I'm about, I'm about to hang up when I notice that at the bottom of this piece of furniture is a little plaque, it's a blue plaque with letters, and I said, you know what, do me a favor, I'm not going back, I bought it, I paid for it, but do me a favor, send me a picture of the plaque, because in my heart, 
I wanted to be sure that it's not something that's taka Christian, and I want it to be Jewish because I need an Aron Kodesh for my new Torah. They said, sure, we'll send you a picture. I took a picture, emailed it to me, and I looked at it and I got the chills because you know what it said on it? It said, Hine loyonum v'loyishan shoymer Yisrael. And I was like, wow, look at this. Here is a Torah that belonged to a, 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 a Rav, belonged to a Holocaust survivor. It goes to the hands of his son who becomes a Buddhist. And this Buddhist Torah is going to sit in this Christian Arn Kodesh in order to bring Yidin back to Hashem. Hashem loves us so much. He wants us to come back. He waits up. You know, a parent, our children go out late at night. We can't fall asleep. We're nervous. We want, we wait for them to come, for them to come back. A few days later, the Arn Kodesh arrived. Of course, we took the cross and broke it. We took the Torah. We asked Shilas. It fit perfectly in the Arn Kodesh. Beautiful. Now that was right before Sukkot. That day we get a phone call. Lady calls us up and she says, Rabbi, I know that you have guests. We need you to take a young lady who unfortunately has been abused emotionally, physically, terrible, terrible situation. Her name is Miriam. Can she come to you for Sukkot? I said, of course, let her come. We have lots of guests. We'll do our best. She comes to us, Erev Sukkot, together with our other guests, we're putting each guest in a different bedroom. She comes, and the moment she comes, I look at her and I think, I can't take her. She's never, she's a tzibrach in a vessel. She's a shivrei kli. She's, she's been hurt by everyone in her life who is supposed to love her. But I'm not a therapist, I'm a rabbi. What am I going to do with her? But I said, she can come, and she's standing right there. So I said, Miriam, come on in, come, we'll show you. She doesn't say anything. She's like, to herself. I said, come, let me, let me show you where you're going to sleep. You have a nice yontif. She comes, she comes, the first night of Sukkot, all the guests are sitting, they're standing up for Kiddush, washing for Maitzi, schmoozing with each other. Miriam doesn't say a word to anyone. She's quiet. And I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, she's going to make it so uncomfortable for everyone, all of my guests, it's going to be uncomfortable. Listen to me, Hever. Something happened to Miriam over Yantif. She began to come out of her shell. First, she began to play with the children. Shmooze with my wife. She even told me some of her story. She began to smile. She began to, to talk. She just opened up and she stayed the entire Yantif, all eight days. And she even stayed a few extra days, Thursday, Friday, Shabbat, Sunday. On Sunday, I spoke to the lady who sent her to us and I said, tell me, what happened to Miriam? She came to our house, she was all closed and now she opened up. This is years of therapy. What happened in eight days? She's cured. I know she's not cured, but something happened. And the lady says, I, I know what happened. I spoke to Miriam. I'll tell you what happened. The lady tell, tells me, the first night of Yontif, when all your guests were sitting at the, in the sukkah, you decided to tell your guest the story 
of a Torah and an Arn Kodesh that you had just acquired. You told them that story. Miriam was listening. And the first night of Sukkot, she waited for everyone to go to sleep, for your family to retire to their quarters. And when the whole place was quiet, when everyone was asleep, Miriam walked back down to the Arn Kodesh and she opened up the Arn Kodesh and she looked at that Torah and she began to cry. And she began to daven and she said, Hashem, master of the world, this Torah did not have a home for so many years. It wasn't loved and it wasn't appreciated. This Buddhist Jew, he didn't understand its value. It didn't have worth. And yet, you allowed a Torah to find a home, to find a family, to find people that will love it and be machshavit. Look at it like it's so special. Look how excited the rabbi was when he spoke about getting this Torah. And this Arn Kodesh, sitting there in the priest's house, he didn't understand what it was meant for. He couldn't know its value, its worth. It didn't have a family, it didn't have a home. And yet, you even allowed Eitzim, you even allowed a wooden Arn Kodesh to have a family, to be loved, to be appreciated, to be accepted, to have value. So why can't the Bas Yisrael have a home? Why can't I find a family? Why can't I be loved and appreciated? Hashem, if you could let a Torah and an Arn Kodesh find a family, let me find a family where I can be comfortable, I have a home and I'll be loved. That was Miriam's tefillah that day and every single day of Sukkot. Every night, every single night she waited for everyone to go to sleep and she would cry in front of this Torah, I need to feel like a koichav. I need to feel special. I need to have value. I can't walk around feeling like a nachschlepper, like a castaway. I can't. How can anyone live like that? And a few days later, a home, a temporary home was found for her in Silver Spring, Maryland. And she wrote us an email, and in the email she writes, Rabbi and Rabbitson, I miss your home. I miss the ambiance, I miss the singing and the laughter and the music and the food, I miss it all, but she writes more than anything else. I miss my Torah. I miss the connection that I had to that beautiful Torah. A few years later, we got a call from Rabbi Wallerstein, who's a good friend of mine. And Rabbi Wallerstein says, I have a school the school is for girls that have been through abusive situations. Can you make a Shabbaton for us? But don't invite anyone else. Nobody else but my girls. 14, 15 years old. We have 25 of them. I'll come with my Rebbitson. But don't invite anyone else. Not your 60. Just, just my school. I said, Rabbi Wallerstein, Bechavad Rav, come. And he came to the house with these 14, 15-year-old girls are sitting at the dining room table and in the middle of the meal he says, can you tell them a story? And the first story that came to mind was this story, I was calling it Miriam's Torah, so I began to tell them this story. And as I'm telling them the story, one of the girls puts her head down on the table and she begins to cry. And then a second one does, 
and then a third one does, and then I stop telling the story. Rabbi Wallerstein said, why did you stop? I said, this is hitting too close to home. They're hearing this, it's too, it's too familiar, it's too similar to what they've been through. Rabbi Wallerstein says, no, this is good for them, they need to hear this. Please, finish the story. I said, are you sure? He says, yeah. I said, okay, you're the boss, I'll, I'll finish it. And I kept saying the story, and one after the next, the girls put their heads down, who knows what Gehenna made they've been through. And by the time I finished, half the girls had their heads on the table crying, and I felt terrible. But I knew what to do. I said, everyone stand up! Everyone stand up! And all of these girls ended up standing up. I said, follow me. And we went to the front of the room where the Arn Kodesh was. I opened up the doors of the Arn Kodesh, and I looked at these young girls, and I said... One after the next, I want you to stand in front of the Aaron, look at the Torah and speak to Hashem. Tell Hashem what pain you've been through. Ask Him why you had to go through this horrible tzara. Ask Him to make things better, but start. Start the dialogue, speak. And one girl got up, she went in front of the Aaron Kodesh, doors open first she just stood there for a few moments and then she broke down and her whole body was shaking she was crying so violently and when she finished she walked and the next girl did and then the next it was the most terrifying scene those are shame who did what they did to these neshamalach Hashem has his chashbainus but by the time they finished it was a scene that Baruch Hashem was Shabbos, you would have wanted to film it because to capture that moment. And I told those girls, come around, I have one more thing to tell you. I said, you are my new heroes. What you just did, you're heroes for doing that. For speaking to Hashem like that. For bearing your soul, being so honest, so raw. And I said to them, I want you to meet another hero of mine. And I said, Miriam, come on in. Come on in. And Miriam came in from the kitchen. You see, after Miriam's short stay in Silver Spring, my wife and I adopted her. And she became our daughter. And Miriam was listening to her own story from the kitchen. And she comes and she hugs these girls. And she says, it's going to be okay. You're each very special. You're each diamonds, you're stars, you're, you're amazing. Don't let anyone tell you you're not. And this story has one more ending, which is so paladic. Some of you may know, I spoke about it two care of years ago. Hashem has, you know, we don't understand. We rebuilt our house after that fire in 2007. And then during COVID, it burnt down a second time. The whole thing, it was an even worse fire. It's a horrific fire. It has been a very, very hard time for our family. But it could have been much harder. You see, when COVID started, they closed down the schools. And the school that my children went to, one of the schools said, look, you know, the, the kids are fine. They want to continue learning. Can we have a school in your house? The fifth grade, 24 children. 
So he said, yeah, my wife, of course, what is chus? The kultura seeped into our walls, so beautiful. So they came, they came for a week. Then they said, we want to, can we stay a second week? We said, yeah. It was Tuesday morning. I was in davening and someone came running in. Rabbi, come back quickly, your house is on fire. And I thought, oh no, again? I forgot, I was so panicked. I was so panicked, I ran home. I had my car in shul, I forgot I had the car, I just began to run. I came running to see my house engulfed in flames. But what about the children? There were children in the house. It was right before the class had begun, and they were all over our house. And the answer is, they were rescued. Someone went from room to room to room, grabbing the children and throwing them outside. And the person went running from room to room. You guessed it was Miriam. She, she literally saved the lives of these children. They actually counted 22 children. And the Rebbe was there halishing because there was 24. And Miriam tried to go back in to rescue the last two from the fire. She couldn't get in the house. Baruch Hashem Chaveirim asked, are you sure they came to school? Did you take attendance? And the Rebbe said, no, we didn't take attendance yet. So Chaveirim found out where they lived. And Baruch Hashem, both of those two children had skipped that day. Otherwise, would have run into a fire. You know, Miriam is a great example of a koychav. But I want to tell you that each of you, if you're zoichet to have children, if you're zoichet to have grandchildren, if you're zoichet to marry your children off, these are koychavim as well. And l'chulam shemer secret, they all have names, and they all have a tafkid, and they all have something special about them, even the ones that are ashtikal nujadik, ashtikal needy, a shtickle out of the box. Hashem should give us the spirit, the koyach, the bina yaseira, to be able to see the koychav, the shame in our children, and be able to be machsh of them and allow them to reach their greatest potential. Thank you so much. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.